Okay, today's Bible reading, well, the first one, is Genesis 6, verses 11 to 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breathed of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your, and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored, store it away in, as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. God's story. Noah. So part of God's story is about Noah, and it begins like this. First, let's start at the beginning. God created the world to be the most perfect home, with mountains as playgrounds. Chapter 8, uh, which is what I'm going to read uh, just at the moment from verse 14, and then we'll pray and we'll have a closer look at this big uh, passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 8, verse 14. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your, their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his wife, together with his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Well, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for uh, this big section of scripture that we're looking at today. Uh, such a central part of the narrative uh, here in Genesis. And Father, we also know that uh, everyone knows about Noah in our culture. Uh, we have all sorts of rainbows painted in all sorts of kids' areas without any idea of what this is about. And so, Father God, we pray now as we open your word, you'll convict our hearts, you'll encourage our hearts, 
and you'll give us a great understanding of what it means to walk in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start by reading your story this morning. It's a, it's a hit in our household. We do it quite often. It's called, What Do You Do With All the Poo From All the Animals at the Zoo? Um, it's by Arne Doe, the same Arne from Arne's Brush with Fame. If you haven't watched that, I encourage you to wa uh, watch that on ABC iView. So I'm critiquing this book. That's the only way I'm allowed to do this online. So this will be a critique of this book. What do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? The hippos, tigers and kangaroos, what do they do with all that poo? See, I read it so often. I basically know it by heart. I wonder, don't you wonder too? Yes, I do. Well, my brother told me the other day that big trucks come and take it away and they mix it with all kinds of material and make it into children's breakfast cereal. <laughs> but my sister said, that's not right. She said that they pick it up all night and they mix it all in a big machine and make it into chocolate ice cream. I say, what do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? The zebras, the camels and the elephants too. What do they do with all that poo? Well, I wonder. Don't you wonder too? Yes, I do. Well, my uncle, he put his two cents in and he told us with a cheeky grin, they pick up all the animal droppings and that's what you get in your pizza toppings. But my dad reckons everybody's wrong. He said that after the people had gone, they scoop it all up in special trolleys and sell it to the company that makes all the children's lollies. Mm. Well, I say, what do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? The penguins, giraffes and pandas do too. What do they do with all that poo? Do they squish it? You know, squish it all in at a giant keg and mould it into yummy Easter eggs? Do they stir it all up in a swimming pool and sell it as soup to the local school? Do they gather it all up with garden rakes and bake it in a bunch of birthday cakes? I wonder, don't you wonder too? Well, what do they do? Yes, I do. I say, what do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? I wonder. Oh, you know, do you? Now that's a hit in our house. It's a good question, isn't it? What do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? It's a question of curiosity that the brochure and the map that you get when you go into Taronga Zoo doesn't answer. And it never will answer. See, the zoo isn't interested in you knowing what they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo. The zoo is concerned that you engage with the purpose that the zoo exists for to become aware of the animals, to enjoy them, to be engaged with the conservation of them in the future. Uh, in the same way, I have to say the story before us in Noah, and I made this up myself, you could ask the question, what do they do with all the muck from all the animals on the ark? <laughs> See, the thing is, it's not going to be answered. There's lots of questions we come to this passage with 
that we want answered or we start out of curiosity thinking, well, could that really happen? What about this? What about that? Well, I can guarantee you that's not the purpose for which this narrative was written. You are not going to get the answer of what they do with all the muck from all the animals in the ark. What you will get, however, is you're going to get an introduction to two uh, people, two figures, uh, and then engagement with the purpose of God and his faithful servant Noah. And that's what we're coming to today, to look at how this culmination from the beginning of creation through all this terrible reality... From all the devastation, remember last week that the human heart is shaping evil all the time. What is God going to do about that? Well, it's not about the ark. It's not about the poo in the ark. It's not even about the animals in the ark. It's about the God who created all things, who now is before him needing to deal with the realities. See, on the surface it's written to give us an account of Noah and his family. But the section doesn't actually finish until uh, chapter 9, uh, chapter nine uh, verse 28, which is the end of chapter 9. See, it starts in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Jam, and Japheth. And then at the end of chapter 9, it says, After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. It's the same pattern that's been happening so far in Genesis. So this is on the surface an account of Noah's life. But digging within that, it's an account of what God's doing with all that's going on. It's a, it's a pattern uh, that we've been seeing. And Noah was introduced very briefly last week. And I harped on it a little bit uh, because I think it, it really revealed God's heart in all this. It says, but Noah found, in verse 8, favour in the eyes of the Lord. Now remember, Noah wasn't any different to anyone else. His heart was still damaged by sin. But then we're introduced here in verse 9 that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. See, Noah is in contrast to the rest of all that's been going on. Despite he was still having an issue with sin, and uh, we see at the end of the passage that I just read that uh, because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, God will still move forward. Noah still had that same heart, but he was a faithful man. He was still affected by sin, but he was a righteous man in the eyes of his peers, in contrasting to the world around him. And so here we've got this great account of a man who is walking faithfully with God as we come into a space of devastation. See, really what we're being told here is that the earth is devastated and that God is going to devastate the earth because it's devastated. Now let me just read you uh, verses 11 to 13, which I, I think brings this out, but I'm not going to read the NIV I'm going to read a translation by a great scholar called John Goldingay, and I think it really picks up this, revet, uh, this uh, repetition of devastation. It says, But the earth had become devastated before God. 
the earth was full of violence. God saw the earth and there it had become devastated because all flesh had devastated its way on the earth. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me because the earth is full of violence through them. Here, I'm going to devastate them with the earth. And it's quite critical we pick up that repetition as we lead in to the ark and the flood because it's all about devastation. The earth had been devastated by the sin of humanity and now in just righteousness and judgment, God is going to devastate humanity along with all the creation that's been affected by humanity. And really at this point, we need to take a breath. If this is the first time you've read this account, you've been reading about, yes, God is upset, yes, God is, God is in all sorts of uh, distress, really, about where humanity has taken the earth and all that's in it. But all of a sudden, he's saying he's going to devastate humanity. And so in the narrative, we should take a breath here and go, what is going to happen? This seems extreme. Surely it's not that bad. See, and people who are prone to devastation with their hearts, it wouldn't seem like it's all that bad. Surely we can just work it harder and get out of it. Maybe we can just be better people. But no, the overwhelming reality is that evil is being shaped by the human heart all the time. And so there is no other way but to effectively cleanse the earth of it. So here we've, we're encountering this narrative where there's a devastation to really make right a devastation. And then we're introduced to this faithful man and really the rest of the narrative gives us a wonderful insight into what a faithful man looks like even with a sinful heart. And I want to point out three things this morning and and I do want to point out these realities of faith in the, in the world of Noah because I think this is what speaks to us directly about what the reality of us being faithful people walking in God's world is. And there's three things that points out here. Firstly, true faith is obedient. Now I just want you to have a look there at the text. Uh, in, so we, we're given the instructions. God gives all these wonderful instructions uh, no doubt Noah is thinking, oh my goodness, like we saw in the kids' video earlier, I'm building an ark on dry ground, um, assuming floodwaters will come. Uh, but the first thing I want to point out is true faith is obedient. Have a look at verse 622, uh, chapter 6, verse 22. After given all these instructions by God, we're told Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And then we're told in verse seven, uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 5, after being told more about going into the ark with the family and every animal, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And then if you go to chapter 8, verse 15, uh, just as uh, we know the floodwaters came, and I'm not going to go through all that, and they were there 40 days, 40 nights. It was over a year that they were on the, on the ark, and then we're told in chapter 8, 15, which I read earlier, uh, well, chapter 14 says the earth was completely 
dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons. Bring out all the animals so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. Now, don't miss that reflection back to Genesis 1 for the purpose of creation. And then God said, Come out of the ark. And verse 18, So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wife. Now, I don't know if you've thought about just how hard that would actually be to come out of the ark. I don't know, there's probably, what do you do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo and you're probably ready to get out of the ark. But you've been on there for a whole year. I think it would take a great deal of faith to actually walk out of it just as much as it walked into it. You don't really know what you're coming into an encounter. Will there be any fruit? Will there be any vegetation? What, 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 what destruction has happened? But in all instances, Noah has been extremely faithful and that faith has been reflected in obedience. See, true faith is always obedient. I came across a story uh, this week, actually. It's not a very happy story, but I think it illustrates this point. Uh, really nicely. There's a woman uh, over in the US and she happened to have a, a toy Australian Shepherd. It wasn't a toy, it was a real dog. It was a one-year-old dog. Uh, and they went for, a, um, went for a walk in, the, in one of the, one of the, the Kuichin Valley. And uh, as they were walking, they came across another dog. And, uh, and they, the dogs were fighting over this stick. And this woman had always played fetch you know, so the dog would bring it back. But these two dogs were fighting over this stick. But this woman, she was just fed up of them fighting, so she grabbed the stick and just threw it over the cliff. What do you think the dog did? Well, he had complete faith in its owner, and it did what she told it to do every time. And yes, the outcome was devastating for the owner and uh, for the dog, obviously, but I think it's a great illustrating point of how faithfulness is always obedient. See, true faith will trust the one that you are calling master, the one that you are looking to for your food, for your provision, for everything, as a dog is. And so even when you are told to do something like build an ark or do something like build a church when it seems like there's no way of building a church in this kind of environment or this kind of culture, when you're getting a lot of persecution coming at you from all sorts of ways or you're told to go over to China and, and go and plant a church somewhere, well, you go. Why? Because you know that the one that you call master is in control of all things and you trust. And this is what... Uh, Noah is doing here. He is walking faithfully because he is obedient. And in fact, you cannot separate obedience and faith. Uh, if you have a look at the book of Romans, if you want to flick there, if you have your Bibles there, in the book of Romans, uh, we, Paul is introducing his calling uh, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I want to point out the two bookends of the book of Romans. Now we consider this uh, one of the greatest books of the gospel uh, to explain the gospel. But if you have a look at Romans chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says, Through him, 
that is Jesus Christ, we received grace and apostleship, talking about him and, uh, and those who are working with him and, and the Roman church. We have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So we don't like to talk about obedience or works or doing good things. Now, it doesn't save you, but it is certainly an outward expression of what faith is. They are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have faith without being obedient to the one that you are claiming to have faith with. And in fact, right at the end of the book, uh, in, uh, at the very last chapter, in the very last uh, section there, if you just turn to it, if you have it with you, Paul says this, He says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can't say, I have faith in Jesus. And when he asks you to go, to stay. When he asks you to build, to not build. He says to all of us, go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because all authority has been given. And for an individual, there will also be a personal call upon your life. Are you being obedient upon that call? Is your faith reflected in going into spaces that make you uncomfortable if God has called you there? You know he's placed it on your heart. You've got this thing going on inside of you. It might be a sermon you're hearing online or even in this pulpit and something triggers and you think, I really need to do this or I really need to change this or I really need to go into this space or I really need to have a conversation with this person. Are you being obedient to that call? Now, you may not have to build an ark, but the call upon our life can be just as uncertain and just as, I guess, fearful as what Noah would have been facing. So the first thing is true faith is obedient. Well, the second thing is, is true faith is certain of what it doesn't see. And you just think about what Noah didn't see. Well, he didn't see the flood. He probably didn't even know where the wood was. He probably didn't even recognise the extent of the problem of humanity. He was walking faithfully with God. He wouldn't have been able to know when the flood was coming or... Or, or, or what, what sat before him. It's quite a remarkable thing. If you think of all the things he didn't know, he didn't actually know anything. He probably didn't even know how to build an ark. He's been given instructions. He's probably going, hey, Ralph, how do I put two pieces of wood together? Sounds like my life. What's this screwdriver for? Why isn't it working when I'm hammering at this screw? 
But see, like, who knows where Noah's from and what his, what, what his, what his abilities are. And it's so often the case, you hear so many stories of Christians who are now doing things which they didn't think they were capable of doing. I never thought I'd be standing talking to people, that's for sure. And I hope you are at times being put into uncomfortable positions that you never thought that you would be doing. Overcoming fears and anxieties, overcoming the things that you feel are not your, your, your strengths. Now, I'm not telling you to get up and start playing music if you don't know how to play music. But if God calls you, if he's putting it on your heart that you should be playing music, well, then you go and you start learning an instrument or learning to sing or whatever it might be. You don't know if it's ever going to work, but you, you just know what's ahead of you. And sometimes that's not very much at all. But notice that, notice that uh, faith is certain of what it doesn't see. And I'm sure you're all thinking of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's, uh, let's just read that together. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance or certainty about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Now think about that for a moment. Believing in creation takes faith. We can't see it happening. It was made out of nothing. It's very clearly stated there. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, uh, I think that's Latin, I don't know why I said that, it's out of the Latin, out of nothing, God spoke everything. That takes a lot of faith to believe that. But then we're told uh, uh, in verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. See, God revealed what he was going to do to, uh, to the world, that he was going to devastate it, and he said, go and build an ark. So Noah did it. Why? Because he was certain, because of who God is and he could trust in God, that because God said it would come to be, it would come to be. So the obedience is matched with a certainty by doing what God has told him to do. Assurance, confidence, certainty. See, our world tells us faith is blind, but it's not. See, faith and, and, and reason are not polar opposites. Noah's being reasonable here. Why? It seems unreasonable in our world. It seems unreasonable on the surface. But he knows God. He has walked faithfully with him. He has seen him in action. He has seen the realities of who he is. He's heard the stories of the creation. He knows what's happening. And so he's certain. And it's reasonable to build an ark, even though it looks unreasonable on the surface. Why? Because the word of the Lord is fully trustworthy. And for us, we have even more reason to trust and to be confident in the word of the Lord. 
We have his own son hanging on a cross. We have an empty tomb. We have all the promises in the Old Testament finding their fullness in Christ. See, certainty comes from knowing God, walking with him. And the more you do that over your life, you don't just rely on the accounts in Scripture, but you'll have your own personal testimonies. That's why we're told to share our testimonies to each other. Because there's nothing more encouraging than to hear someone tell of how God uh, has been so faithfully looking after them in our life. Now, I remember the exams that I took at Bible college, they were always fraught with a great deal of uncertainty and a great deal of, uh, a great deal of fear, really. I really didn't like the exams. The best thing about master's, uh, master's uh, unit is we didn't have exams. Uh, the bachelor level, yeah, I had exams all the time. But there were some exams I didn't fear and I didn't have uncertainty about, and they're the ones who I did really well in my assignments. And you walk into the exam and you know that you only need two marks out of 50 to pass. Now, I feel pretty confident at that point. And I'll go in with great certainty. But the great thing that we have is that we go into this faith calling, we go into this journey with God, not trying to make up those few marks that are left, but with the complete accreditation already being given to us. We already have the qualification to be a people who walk in faith because it's been won on the cross by Christ. And that's why we can have certainty as we look to the future in what God's called us for. See, how certain are you of things that you do not see? How certain are you of life after death? What's coming? Do you have full confidence because God has proven his trustworthiness so that as you face death, You can walk straight into it with great confidence. And what does confidence bring? It brings joy. Didn't mean to look at you then, Joy, but it does. It brings joy. Not you, but joy, great joy. Even as we face the uncertain future, we can go with certainty, which brings joy because God is who he is and no one knew that. And we can know that. But as a church as well, I think we've been through a great journey over the last three or four years, really testing a great deal of faith. And then COVID hits. And now we're looking down more change. See, as we look down the future of our church, are your eyes fixed on your own feet? Or are they fixed in in where God is leading us? And sometimes that takes time to build the ark. It takes time to create again, particularly when things have been uh, left quite destroyed. I think we've been in a wonderful space over the last couple of years. God has led us in vision and mission. COVID hits and we get shaken. But we don't have to shrink back. We don't have to worry that, oh, this isn't the right course of action. We need to stand firm, knowing that God is in uh, leading our church. And here's a great future for our church. 
whether you feel it or not. Because it's his church and he has proven himself faithful. So true faith is obedient and true faith is certain. And just finally, I just want to point out here that true faith reveres. If you just go back to Genesis Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. They've just come out of the ark. And what's the first thing Noah does? We're told he builds an altar to the Lord. And then those animals and birds that were put in there to secure the future of all the animals, he takes some of them and offers them as sacrificed burnt offerings. Now, don't worry, I'm pretty sure that a year went by and there were some babies born. But look at that. With very little, he offered the burnt sacrifices. See, our offerings are such a reflection of our faith. And this is, a, this is an act of reverence. He is looking to God as worthy, worthy of being praised, of being offered the best, the only, maybe, knowing that God is in control. Just as Abraham went up that hill with his son Isaac, a story I can't even start to, to relate to willing to sacrifice his son after being said you'll be made a great nation. The Lord will provide, son. The Lord will provide. And out of the thicket comes a sheep. See, we don't know the path God is sending us into. It won't be to kill your children. Please don't go home and do that. But there was a reason for that. And that is to show that faith, faith, well, it has to be willing to sacrifice. And look at, look at Noah here. To show reverence to the Lord who has remembered him and his family, who has remembered humanity, who has remembered that he has made his creation for a purpose greater than just being in existence. He reveres by sacrificing with a pleasing aroma. See, as we have our eyes with certainty fixed on the future, and as we walk in obedience, how are you responding to the certainty of the hope you have in Christ? Are you so certain that you're willing to sacrifice? Well, we know we can sacrifice with great confidence because God is the God of sacrifice, the one who sacrificed his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, all things are in God's hands. No one knows this. But the great joy in all this story is that God has not given up. And that gives us even greater confidence. In fact, this whole narrative is around how confident you can be in the Lord. 
And I'm just going to quickly point out all these instances. There's basically five stages in this passage of how you can be confident. In stage one of this uh, narrative, in chapter 22, uh, we're, we're reassured that Noah did as God told him. And then again, we're reassured that God did as Noah told him, as I mentioned in chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, the third stage, uh, when the deluge uh, comes, uh, Yahweh makes, or the Lord making, makes sure that the survival party is secure in the ark before the deluge comes. Uh, the fourth stage, uh, we're told that God uh, is mindful of Noah and also forms a bridge uh, in, 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 into the next stage. Uh, he remembers Noah um, and, and he, he, the waters recede. And then in the final stage, he gets Noah to come out because he has uh, dried the land. See, the whole narrative, I know that's a bit disconnected, but I just want you to see that this is all about great confidence in your faith. At every stage, we're reassured that Yahweh hasn't disappeared. The Lord hasn't disappeared, even when he's uh, destroyed everything. He has been there every moment with Noah and his family. He has, come, he has walked this journey with them. Yes, he's brought this devastation upon them, but he's walked the journey because he knew that the earth needed a rebirth. And at the other end, we have really a rebirth of creation. Now, we're not told that Noah was perfect and we're not told that now suddenly humanity was perfect. But what we are told is that God has committed himself and proven his commitment to us. And so the confidence we can have is beyond anything we can even imagine. Our problem is, as we put our confidence in the world, we like, to, we like to trust in the people around us for what only God can give us. And so we build based on the messages on our TVs, the messages on our internet, the messages on our phones. But we need to build in accordance with the message here in the Word of God. And that is with great confidence, with great obedience and great reverence. Because the Lord God is the one who remembers. The Lord God is the one who has committed himself. Now next week, or not next week, next week John and Sally will be with us. Uh, George Stathios is actually coming the week after that and he's going to preach from John chapter 1 and connect all this together with Jesus being the word. But then we're going to have a look at the covenant in chapter 9 uh, where we see the rainbow and we see God's full commitment to his people. But notice here, uh, just here, that at this stage, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma in verse 21 and said in his heart, God has made a commitment inside himself. Even though humanity is like this, I will never again destroy all of them. And we see that coming to fulfilment as he saves us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to challenge you to think about your faith walk. How are you faithfully walking with the Lord? What is it that you're afraid of because you don't have enough confidence in him? 
What is it that he's placed on your heart to be doing over these coming weeks, these coming months, these coming years? Perhaps there's some long-term decisions that he's asking you to make. Or when you make those decisions, moving house, changing jobs, whatever it might be, is your first question, what does the Lord want from me? Or what is going to best suit his kingdom? See, these are the ways we should be living. We don't ask what's best for me first and then the kingdom can follow. We ask what's the best for the kingdom and then we follow the path of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for Noah. Thank you for his faithfulness. But Lord, beyond that, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we come with great confidence because you have demonstrated that you are committed to us, not just in Noah, but in Abraham, in Isaac, in Jacob, in Joseph, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Daniel. Over and over again, Lord, as people have turned from you, you have committed yourself in covenants through Moses and ultimately, Lord, through Jesus, where you... God the Son came to the earth to commit fully and show us your commitment. And so, Father God, as we walk as people of yours, fully, fully brought into the light from the darkness, we pray, Lord, that we won't put ourselves before your kingdom, that we will be offering our bodies as living sacrifices, as a pleasing aroma to you, and as we meet you face to face in that day with great certainty, we can stand before you and hear those wonderful words, good and faithful servant. So Father God, bless us now, be with us, and we pray that as we walk this journey together as a church, you will bless us with being kingdom-minded people and not individually minded. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.